In today's episode of the David Watson podcast, I spoke with Darren from Pegasus Ops. And Darren, his job is international child rescue. And it is just fascinating. And I barely scratched the surface. He does an amazing job, him and company, and, and the people that work with him. And it was everything you could imagine it to be, and so much more. And I strongly recommend you check out his website, buy his book, and just, yeah, if you're interested in supporting, get in touch with him. But whatever, please do enjoy this episode of the podcast. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Well, as we were just discussing, completely shitting myself from technical difficulties because I've no idea how to fix them. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully this will run incredibly smoothly. And if it does, it's in down to me in no way, shape or form because I, I literally don't know what I'm doing half the time with these podcasts. If, you know, like I said, if they work, I'm all in. But as soon as there's a problem, I'm like, mm, right. Yeah. Which kind of smoothly segues me towards your job. Which, when I first um, seen you on TikTok, I was just like, what the bloody hell? Because it, it is kind of weirdly the stuff of films, you know, but I'll let you explain to people exactly what it is you do. Yeah, so, um, I mean, it's definitely the, I, the amount of times that I've actually spoken to people and they've turned around to me and they've told me that. What, what I do sounds like a movie. Um, it even encouraged me to actually write a screenplay and then start pushing towards the movie side of things. <laughs> we can talk about that later. Um, I, I basically, it, the basic concept of what I do is locate and rescue missing children and kidnapped children around the world. Um, when it comes to, to missing and kidnapped children in itself, a lot of people mistake it for being the general stereotype that you'll see on TV for kidnap and ransom. Um, a lot of people mistake it for being parental abductions. And we'll talk about parental abductions later as well. But um, we go into all aspects of it in the aspect of a lot of children get groomed to join gangs and then cross county lines are groomed by um, sexual predators online to run away and be with those sexual predators. Then you've got the sex trafficking side, which is something that we're building up towards. Um, human trafficking, organ um, harvesting. There, there's so many different types of reasons why our children go missing. And, and I, I believe that one thing that's very important is that it's never spoken about enough for starters um, and it's never highlighted enough in mainstream media um, or even uh, uh, in general in general conversations uh, 8 million children go missing every 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 year around the world 8 million? That's the estimated 8 million, that's the estimated numbers that are coming out through uh, statistics on um, online websites that specifically deal with this um, the United Kingdom in itself is anywhere between 130 to 100, uh, sorry, 130 to 240,000 children are reported missing every year, and at least 10% of those are never found. Uh, there was only last night, for example, that I was, uh, I had a phone call about a case where a girl was on the way to the bus stop and disappeared. Um, that that's how common it, it can happen. America is obviously a lot worse, and America works out to be about. Um, 800,000 children going missing every single year. There's about a third of those that are never found as well. But worldwide, it's, it's up to 8 million. And those statistics are not even accurate because there's a lot of cases that are not reported, um, which which causes big problems. So <clears throat> the company is called, 
your organisation is called Pegasus, is that correct? Yeah, Pegasus Ops. Pegasus Ops. Yeah. And could you just, you and I did briefly speak about this on the phone, but how did you get into this? So um, I kind of fell into it. I didn't know anything about the industry. I didn't even know that an industry existed. Um, whilst I was working away in Afghanistan, um, I was private contracting for 17 years. I started contracting that when I left the military. But whilst I was in Afghanistan at the end of 2012, um, I'd already met this guy before. He was already working in the industry. He used to get in touch with me and ask me for points of contact to help him out in different countries that he was working in. Never really paid attention to it much. I helped him out, gave him a name. That person then helped him out on the case. Never really spoke about it in general. At the end of 2012, he gets in touch and he asks me for a point of contact for Lebanon, so I helped him out with that. And then... Um, Eventually, after a few weeks, he asked me to go over and basically give him a fresh eyes on the case. This is to help him out, to see what's going on, to see if he can come up with new ideas, because he was hitting dead end after dead end and couldn't figure out how to do it. So I did, and I went over there. Um, the first week that we was actually uh, involved in that, uh, it, it, it opened my eyes massively. We ended up in a situation where we were going into this town. This town was a Hezbollah-controlled town in North Lebanon, and... Um, <laughs> it goes down to the point of what I learned. I learned that there was a lack of professionalism in the industry for starters, and we ended up taking a wrong turn. Yeah. Wrong turn is always a key factor for anything going wrong straight away, anyway. Um, we take this wrong turn, we end up in a, in a situation where we couldn't go move anywhere for further forward. It was a tight alleyway, so we had to do like a 20 point turn to get out of there. By the time we turned around, there's a BMW blocking us in, and the four guys jump out of it with AKs and shotguns. We managed to get around them, we get chased out of town. Um, and then obviously that's when I came up with the solutions or the ideas to actually take him to the next solution. Um, that was it. That's all I thought I would have a part in. I gave him my information. I went back. I was ready to go back to Afghanistan. So I was sitting there waiting at home. And then about two weeks later, it turned out that he quit the case. When he quit the case, his boss gets in touch with me. The owner of the company gets in touch with me and asks me to go over and, uh, and, and take over the case. Now, I didn't know nothing about child recovery. I didn't know the tactics. I didn't know the way of things that were involved. But one thing I did know is that I've been working in the military and the private military side of things for a very long time at this point. I mean, the experiences that I had, I'm pretty sure that I could figure a way to get out of that sort of situation anyway. So uh, I sat down with the missus and we sat down for about two days discussing it. Because obviously I was comfortable in life. I was, I, I was, I was living a stable life. Um, I enjoyed I, I, my job. I, I'm going to emphasise the word was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so uh, I had a stable job. I had, uh, I had financial security. Everything was good. Um, and then uh, the question that kept coming up during that conversation in itself was, who else is going to do it? Because the guy that was working on it before quit, they had nobody else. The amount of money, I knew how much money had been spent on this by this time, and it was already into six figures. And they hadn't achieved anything, so I was, I was quite disappointed with that. So it was like, all right, who else is going to do it? I'll do it. I had no choice. Mentally, inside my head, I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't do it. So I went over there. And now this is a long story short, because I do have a book about this, which goes into the full details. I'll make um, sure the uh, book goes into the link descriptions as well. So. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, but basically, I went over there, and I set up a military-style operation. Um, and we went in. Uh, which involved the bottle extraction and everything. Um, 
I went in and set up a land operation. I had one of my guys go in and set up uh, um, the operation out in sea. Um, it involved dealing with the mafia in Cyprus, and the mafia in Cyprus actually helped us out. Um, there were so many twists and turns during it. I got strip searched at one point, and I stood in front of the Lebanese mafia telling them I need them to help me with the Brecon point, like in the military, which was hilarious because they're looking at me as if I'm a nutter. Um, but with all the twists and turns of all the problems that we faced, it was just a case of fixing those problems, solving those problems, and then moving through and getting the operation done. And we did. Um, didn't take too long either. Took longer than what it does in these days because obviously I was learning every step along the way. Um, but we did. We got them. We got them out of there and we got them back home. Which is funny as well because yeah, it was only yesterday I actually uh, I actually spoke to them again. Oh right, wow. So yeah, that was pretty amazing. There was like so many questions for this. Um, mm. It's like because, um, like I said, you know. So let, let's start with let's dispel some myths. Because yeah. obviously everyone's going to compare you to either the Equalizer or Taken. Oh, yeah, yeah. E- Equalizer yeah. or Taken. It's always Taken. Taken's e- the big one. Yeah, or Equalizer. <laughs> I prefer the Equalizer to Taken. Yeah, so do I. Do you know what I mean? But there's a scene in Equalizer 2, isn't there, where he's on the train. And yeah. uh, he's going after some Turkish guys. So l- let's sort of initially dispel the myths. Yeah. So it's nothing like that. <laughs> Yeah, the, the end it just isn't <laughs> yeah um when it, when it comes to the movies and everything like that um don't get me wrong taken it's got a, it's got a fantastic depiction of what happens when it comes to um sex trafficking it's got a fantastic depiction and the tactics that they use and all this sort of stuff um obviously it's a movie you've got to have someone running around with guns and you've got to have the yeah. hero doing this and doing that well the way that we work it's 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 very covert. Um, we go into it. We go in. We don't announce ourselves. We blend into society. Um, even to the extent like when when I was in Lebanon, I didn't even know that I was doing it. But I was actually doing surveillance on uh, on the mother of the child, um, and I was in areas where they was in very close to them and listening to conversations. That's how close I was to them. And when I first met her, after all of that, she'd never seen me before. So it's all about blending into society. It's all about being very covert, building up a plan. Um, you walk away from the area, you, you, you follow every single lead. The details, are, uh, we go into it in such intricate details. Um, and we have to figure out everything. And then we test everything to see if that works. And once we've got a plan, and by the time that we've got this plan built up, and it doesn't take too long because it's 24 hours a day every single day, and you've got to come up with the ideas, you've got to meet the people that you're going to help you, you've got to build up trust. There's so much that goes into it. But um, by the time that you've done all that, still no one should know that you're in that area. No one should know anything's happened until the point where you're actually going in and getting that kid out. And then, and there's always a, there's always a big build-up towards that. And we, when we go in, we don't carry weapons. So uh, it depends on the situation. It will depend if we help get the authorities to help us. It depends if they can they can hinder us or whether they're actually going to help us. We have to make that decision. And that's a tactical decision to make sure that the operation doesn't go wrong. Um, but when it comes to the fact of doing any of this, we're never armed. It's all brains over brawn. So all of the running into buildings and taking out all of these traffickers and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. One day it might get to that. Yeah. <laughs> so but Not right now anyway. So just, just, so that like has completely surprised me. I mean, I can, I can, I can, I'm sensible enough, and I'd like to think I'm smart enough to understand why you can't go in guns blazing. Yeah. Um, 
But I would have thought you would have at least carried small arms just for your own protection in case you get cornered somewhere. Now, if we were to do that, I mean, uh, you've got to imagine the situations that I get. And I, I deal with a lot of underground networks. I deal with a lot of mm. um, unscrupulous people. Um, I've been in situations where I have literally disappeared off the grid because I've gone for a meeting. And then that meeting is basically, for example, the last case I was working on, I went, I drove one and a half thousand miles in two days i then get picked up by a mafia organization they drive me another hour in random directions they then take off all my electronics from me and i was well away from the area where my car was now and then they move me another hour and i'm standing on no man's land on a border in a clearing in a forest at three o'clock in the morning and i've got the mafia gauging their trust into me now imagine if i went into a situation like that with a weapon yeah it would it would turn out very wrong for me Second to that, it's the case of the fact that a lot of the countries that we work in, they're normal working countries. This isn't like going into the Middle East every single time. This isn't like going into a hostile area every time. There's laws, there's regulations. We have to do everything that we can to stay on that side of the law. Um, so, we, so we have to improvise, adapt, and overcome. It's one of the one of the biggest yeah. traits that any um, soldier throughout the world is it, has the ability to do. Um, and we, we utilize everything to our advantage. We'll try to utilize everything to our advantage. So it's important not to get caught up into that sort of stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. If we if we went into the Middle East and we went into somewhere like Syria, if we went into somewhere like Sudan, Yemen, or even Afghanistan, um, we have the capabilities, 100%. If we went into Libya, for example, we still have the capabilities there. But it would be a different setup. Instead of going in as a covert team, we'd go in as an overt team. We'd have armoured vehicles, we'd have weapons. And that's primarily for the protection of the clients. And then, obviously, once we do the pickup, we've got that protection for um, the child that we're picking up as well. So it's a different scenario, and we have the capabilities for it. But you don't need to use the same tactics every single operation. No, no. I mean, obviously, I'm imagining, like you say, if you were that rigid, it just wouldn't work. You've got to uh, oh, yeah, adapt everything to, right, forget what we did last time. What's this situation? And then if there's any common common themes, I guess you can utilize that experience. But to, to kind of think there's a blanket solution, you're probably just dead before you even start. You know? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this isn't anything to do with like being black or white. This is all about the fact that you have to have every spectrum out there. Everyone talks about being flexible and all this. We talk about being fluid because that's literally how you have to be. So. Jeez, I'm running out. I've got so many questions buzzing through my head. Um, so, yeah, like, I'm just going to. How do you not shit yourself at three o'clock in the morning in the middle of a clearing? Um, the, when we plan things, we analyse what is going to happen, the potentials of what could happen, um, how people will respond. There's a lot of psychological elements that go into it because you psychologically profile people when you're talking to them all the time. Um, I, as an example, when I was working on a county lines case, um, I wanted to go to a motorcycle club because obviously a motorcycle club were in charge of certain areas and they know everything about those areas. Um, I had to gauge how the response to me going in there was. I knew that there had to be a show of power, didn't know what that show of power would be. Um, but when I get in there, I got shown that show of power straight away. But also, I also, I also know at the end, they wouldn't be accepting that meeting unless they wanted to talk to me about this. This isn't the case of just grabbing over someone and then filling him in or stabbing him. This mm. is a case of, yeah, well, they need to know that we're in charge and they're not almighty and all-powerful, but at the same time as that, we will help them. So going into that situation, I had two guys grab hold of my arms and then put a knife to my throat. But the result of that night was me drinking with them and getting their trust 
yeah. to the extent where they helped me massively on that case. Um, experience takes over. Um, my entire life since I was 16, I joined the military at 16 years old. Um, I served multiple locations with the military. And then when I was 22 years old, I went over to Iraq. Um, and that led to Afghanistan, West Africa. And I've been in all sorts of situations throughout my entire life. So taking that experience and that knowledge and then going into something when you're in child recovery, the only difference is that you're alone rather than actually with somebody when you go into these situations. It, it, it changes everything massively. Don't get, don't get me wrong, there's elements of fear, 100%. There's yeah. elements of uncertainty. But at the same time as that, there's elements of knowledge and, um, and, and, and forethinking. Think, for so uh, it's, it's all there. Like, <laughs> it's just crazy. Because it is, it's interesting that like you're saying, because whenever you meet the, um, any form of mafia or anything like that who, who control a certain area, they want you to know what that means when you meet them. Yeah, yeah. You know, just they like, want to show their power. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's just at that point, it's like, just what kind of level of power do they want to show? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, when I when I was on that last case, for example, there was a lot of weapons there. They wanted to show me that I could just mm. disappear, and they did it very well. Um, <laughs> to the aspect where it was at that point where I actually got in touch with my own people, and I says, "I think you might want to start tracking me now because this is definitely taking a different turn." Um, but they did. Um, I gauged my trust with them, um, and again, it's an element of power in the way that they want to show power. I had to help one of their um, leaders to move house so they would give me a meeting to a different faction on a different borderline. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's, that's a show of power as well in itself. And it, it, it works. I'll, I mean, I'll do anything to get the case done. So uh, every, every single time, it's always succeeded that way. Yeah, because, I mean, over the years, um, you know, I haven't always been a podcaster. I'm actually an ex-offender. Um, not, nothing serious, do you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. But I've met some very interesting people. And it's funny how some of the darkest people you meet have the highest morals. Yeah. And people don't really understand that. It's just like, you know, everyone thinks because they've got no regard for the law. Yeah. That means they have no morals. It's like, in my experience, generally, um, it's the complete opposite. That, 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 I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know I mean? It's like the darker, nastier they might be, they're probably the greatest dad ever. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I find it really strange in the aspect that I have more success using organized um, organized networks, let's say, yeah. um, than using the authorities, because the authorities will do everything that they can to stop us on, on a lot of occasions. Um, whereas, obviously, the underground networks, the organized networks, they, uh, they're, they're all about assisting us. It's strange, isn't it? Because I don't know whether it's a code or what is the right term to use it, but there's kind of like they and to use and I don't want to do because like a Hollywood term, but it's like they have a difference between them and civilians. You know, yeah, if you're if you're kind of part of this underground network, we can do what we want. But if if you're not part of this underground network, no, 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 no. People need to be left alone. They don't deal with what we do. And when you start interfering and like I said, a lot of them, like I said, who. I have, I have, gen, I've genuinely just like met one or two people that have, have been like done for murder and stuff, yeah. and wouldn't hesitate to follow up with something. But if you kick the dog, or spat at the child, right, you you better be exiting very quickly. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? It is. It is yeah. really, really bizarre how that works. And um, and apologies, because there used to be this very... I can never remember the name, but there was this very interesting book um, that I read about 20 years ago, and it was talking about a very far stretch of Russia uh, that was completely controlled by this mafia guy. And he policed it as well, the entire town. Yeah. And everyone left him alone because he run everything almost like the mayor. Um, the schools, the hospitals... <laughs> Everything, and everyone was happy, because he, you know, but these were the rules. But he was just like, no, kids need to go to school, kids need hospitals, and you know, and it's just to the point of like, if you drunk, he didn't have any tolerance for people who were drunk, disrupting things and stuff like that. It's like you can get drunk, but you got to behave, you know. And apparently, it was a really nice town to live in. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing course. how it works, isn't it? Yeah. So, how do you? You were talking earlier about blending in. And obviously, yeah. like, my first question is, you look as English as me. Yeah. <laughs> or British as me, you know, I don't know your background. So how, how do you, when you, you go to other countries, blend in that well that nobody notices you're there? Um, I don't know. It, it, it depends on what sort of country that you're going into. Obviously, um, we have to read the route. Um, if we're going into a poor breadline area uh, where you've got, like, a council state or something like that, then we have to change the way that we dress and the way that we behave to be actually be inside those areas. I mean, you're not going to be driving up in a nice car and then walking around in a flash suit. So you, that's when you have to be aware of how people are dressing and all that. So you go into Eastern Europe, for example, and you see the way that they're dressing in these areas and all that, and then you just literally do exactly the same, and you blend in that way. Um, Spain, I was in a case, and I spent two weeks living on the streets because that was the best way to be able to gather information. Um, going into the Middle East and places like that, that's a little bit of a different... Um, scenario. Now, there are, like, for example, Lebanon, there's Christian areas and there's Muslim areas. Um, going into the Christian areas, you blended in very well. Going into the Muslim areas, you're not going to blend in very well. But it's still expected due to the fact that there are entities of tourism there, and, and obviously there's a lot of tourism in Lebanon, because it's a beautiful country anyway. Um, uh, going over to the Middle East into hostile areas, again, different story. You don't have to blend in because then we're very older anyway. But um, a lot of times we use translators. Um, we'll use fixers, local fixers. So a lot of times you don't have to go into a situation by yourself in the aspect of trying to set up a situation by yourself because you've got to try to gauge the trust and everything like that. Um, those fixers are able to help you. All right, I want to meet this person or this person or this person. Can you organize it? And then it's a case of going through the process because they're expecting to meet you anyway. Everything just fits into place and you have to figure out a way to make it fit into place um, and it's kind of what we're good at more than anything Is there an approach to solving problems? Um, yeah just analyse it, you have to analyse it the way that the way that I solve a problem of, of child recovery cases is a case of um, if, I, if I drive down the road and I've got a junction and that junction can take me in three directions so I need to drive down every three of those directions to see what's down there, when I get down there I need to see what is down here that could uh, make things fail. I always try, no matter what we do, every plan that we create, and for one case, we could create 20, 30 plans. You have to try to destroy the plan. You have to try to, to analyze it to the point where you can see this is going to fail, and, and, and that's what we do. We do everything we can to make that plan fail, and then you're able to take the strength of that out of each part of that plan and each direction that you go, and then connect it together to the point where you've got a higher success. 
Um, and that's what it's all about, really. It's all about analyzing them. Yeah, we look at the systems. We look at um, the way that things work, and we analyze it. How can we turn the system to our advantage? For example, you don't need to be running around doing high-profile, hardcore, fast driving or anything like that. If the system is designed and there's a loop in the system where you can just abolish all of that and just go, all right, let's get the plane. And then it's all there. If you can analyze that problem. So it, that's what it's all about. There's a lot of, a lot of brain work that's involved in it. So, uh, again, it's just, just systems that have been developed over the years. And that's, that's where we, where we come into it to be able to uh, be different to anyone else that's out there with the way that we do things. Because this is the thing about problem solving is one of the things that's difficult about problem solving is, I suppose, being open minded enough to try and tackle it at different levels to see what the flaws are. Yeah. So, so how do you kind of address that, that, you're, that you know you're doing it so thoroughly? We test it. So you analyze, you analyze everything to the point where you've got the problem and you think you've got the solution to the problem. We then test it. Testing it then gives you the capabilities and, and, and the probabilities of what is going to happen during that time. That's, that, that's, the, that's the prime way of doing it. Okay. Uh, and I take it this, this changes for every situation, like every yeah. single... Yeah, there isn't a single case that I've done that's been the same. You can, we can go off the formula and the formula works for how we work. Um, but in general, that formula is open to every situation. You've got to go through this process, this process, this process, and this process. But every single time is so different, the, the actual parts that make that process work. And would it be a, a fair assumption to say that the process is really designed to try and find failure, not actually find yeah. the solution? Yeah. 100%. It has to be. If you try to find the solution, you're not going to find the solution, and you're going to be obsessed with the solution itself. If you try to make it fail, but you're only finding that it succeeds, you're going to find ways that you've never thought of before. Because you could sit there and you could analyze something and say, ah, that's never going to work. Lebanon itself, I never thought, I thought it was a suicidal mission. But then the more that I analyzed it and the more that I looked into it to make it a suicidal mission, to make it fail, it became more probable that it would be more successful. Yeah. No, no, that, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Do you have to physically stay in shape? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So what yeah, is... What, if that just, I just suddenly thought, what are your fitness regime is? Because <laughs> you can't work out once you get there, can you? <laughs> Do you know what no, I mean? it's, it's basic. I mean, you're on your toes all the time anyway, and you're always mm. moving around. Um, you do find that you end up sitting and sleeping in cars quite a lot. But um, in general, it's all about cardio, cardio, um, constant cardio all the time. Because you're constantly on the move, as long as you're, you're, you're hitting, you're able to run, you're hitting your steps, let's say. Yeah. Um, then as long as you can breathe when you're running around, then you're fine. Because you've got to get in and out of situations. Sometimes there's situations you've got to run. Yeah, uh, no. So primarily it's cardio. I do I do a lot of boxing. Um, I do a lot of shadow boxing. Um, in um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bass Rutten. Vaguely, but I'm not sure yeah, why. So Bass, Bass Rutten is uh, a UFC Hall of Famer. He's got a program out where it's just shadow boxing. It's it's body weight, so you can do it anywhere. It's only, it's only yeah. a 30 minute program a day, um, and that that's really good for your cardio as well, though. Did you have any ba uh, like basic 
uh, I suppose you do from the military the uh, self-defense skills yeah for sure and then obviously with private military and private security you work with so many different people I used to have a Russian guy called that we called him alligator um, he used to get me on the roof I was 22 years old this guy was I mean I was 22 years old and weighing 11 stone this guy Jesus Christ he was he was he was as big as a house yeah um, ex-Russian spets now and he used to take me on the roof every night for about a year and just Batter the fuck out of me. Sorry for my language. No, no, no. It's an adult podcast. You swear as much as you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so basically, he would literally get me on the ground. I would do everything. And as the as as the time progressed, it was the case of I could start to counteract some of his things, but he always had a counteraction for my counteraction. He just broke me down again. I would never ever be able to get him down the ground, even even if to to grab hold of him, I couldn't get him on the ground. He's that big. But um, but that helps as well. And then you've got the different people from all over the world doing different types of things. And we all used to get together and do that sort of stuff together and teach each other things. So it, 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 there's little bits of everything. Yeah, yeah. I used to, um, I had a Russian girlfriend, I've been to Moscow about five times, and you see some of the private security guys there. Oh, yeah. And, and you, you just know. Yeah. <clears throat> and I've tried to explain to people, it's like, no, you don't know how big people can be. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? and, and they have a, there was this, uh, this one guy, and I'm bearing in mind, I haven't been there for... 10 years I can still remember this one security guy in a restaurant because of the way he looked at it. and he was armed he was armed to the hill yeah yeah and because he was private protection and the, the one look at me I was just like he wouldn't he wouldn't think twice about killing me if he thought if he <laughs> if he thought on some dimension that I was some sort of a threat he would have ended it right there yeah without a doubt and I swear to you they're nuts they really are yeah I've they're never in a good way yeah, I've genuinely never been intimidated by anyone outside of an actual altercation or confrontation. Do you know what I mean? There's people that I've had confrontations with when I'm like, oh, shit, you know. But for somebody to just casually smile because he's checking me out, who am I, and look at me and scare me down to my bones yeah, from yeah. a look. <laughs> I was just like, this is another level. And it's just like it's not. This isn't even out of my league. I didn't want to know this league existed. <laughs> yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Because it's yeah, and it is. So, like you said, when you were saying about that Russian guy, this guy just popped straight in my head. I was like, I bet they were related. <laughs> <laughs> you probably were. Because <laughs> <laughs> they just massive. And yeah. so, tell um, tell me about this book, your book. Uh, yeah, so the book is called Angel in the Shadows. Um, it's available on steelcitypress.co.uk and amazon.co.uk. We're trying to get it over into amazon.com at the moment, so uh, that, hopefully that's going to happen quite soon. But the story is, it's, it's a true story. It's the first time that I've managed to get this story on paper in the details of what happened whilst I was over in Lebanon. So this case goes into my backstory. It goes into the, to the details of how I started in the industry and the things that happened throughout that job over in Lebanon to the point where obviously we get back and uh, and uh, and get the family home. It's 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 quite fast paced, it's quite intense. Um, we've got some good reviews on it at the moment. Hardback's just recently sold out, so we're going into the paperback and um, that's open for pre sales at the moment. But um, it's it's doing all right. Okay, I'll definitely make sure I get the links off you. Um, yeah, so yeah, I can yeah. put them in the description. So is it just children that you you try to recover? Primarily because statistically it's more chance that a child is going to go missing and um, when an adult goes missing there's 
if if they've gone missing for the aspect of run away or they've disappeared, there's conscious decisions involved, and then finding those adults, it's a lot more difficult to be able to get them home if you're able to convince them to come home. Now, don't get me wrong, adults do go missing in the aspects of slavery, <clears throat> um, sex trading, yeah. and things like this. Um, we would take on cases like that. That's not a problem. It's not like it's excluded, but primarily for children because they're our future. Um, and no one's currently looking, the statistics are ridiculous. Currently, the majority of companies that are out there, um, they're focusing on the sex trafficking. They're focused on the, the human trafficking side of things. There's some big companies in the States that are working on that, um, and they're very good at what they do. But no one's looking for those individuals. Um, when it comes to the police, looking for those individuals, it leads to an endless chain of phone calls from district to district to district. Um, and then if that goes international, it's an international phone call and then from district to district to district. And the, the investigations are slow going and that's why they end up with a release of a phone number if anyone's got information, pass it on. Because obviously they, they end up losing all leads. With us, we can physically take that chase on for every single child as soon as that happens, as long as we've got the money raised um, to be able to take on that case or if the family is able to afford to take on that case. But primarily what I'm trying to do is to turn it into a free service yeah. Um, and having it as a free service, we raise funds from the general public. Um, literally, we ask no more than £2 per person. If we get 15,000 people to donate £2, then what we can do is take on an international case straight away with that. And it just keeps rolling from there. And we are getting to the point where we're going to be able to do that very soon. So what are the common, if there is such a thing as a common cause of, is it, is it kidnapping? Would that be the right way? The right word? Um, I mean, you've got kidnapping and abduction. Terminology is always very different to depend yeah. on circumstances. But <clears throat> I, I would say that primarily um, common cases, um, surprisingly, a lot. there's a lot of parental abductions out there. Now, when it comes to parental abductions, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that a parental abduction is a safe abduction. But no matter what, when it comes to a parental abduction, this can lead... To minim the minimal side of, 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 the, of the consequences of this is mental trauma towards the child, whether that be parental alienation or whether the trauma of actually leaving the parent behind and then not seeing that parent again. But at the worst spectrum of it, you've got parents that will actually kidnap their children and then murder their own children and murder or kill themselves just to leave a psychological impact. And there's a lot of stuff in between all of that. So you've got to be careful when it comes to parental abductions. We do take them on, but we do massive investigations into the families first to ensure that we're not being manipulated by a manipulator. <clears throat> yeah. um, and we do investigations into both sides of the family, extended family, and it, it, it's quite intense. We go through court documents, criminal record checks, psychological checks, and all this sort of stuff um, before we would even think about taking on a parental abduction case. But they are, um, they are quite um, common. And then outside of that, you've got um, murderers, rapists, paedophiles. Um, then you've got your organizations such as sex trafficking, human trafficking, um, organ harvesting. You've got satanic cults now. Um, and, and the list is endless. And then obviously you've got your traditional type of kidnapping as well, which is the kidnap and ransom, which isn't so much for our side of the world. It's more... Yeah. Um, over in the South Americas, it's in North Africa, um, where there, wherever there's terrorist organizations, the majority of the time there's going to be kidnap and ransom. Um, you've got uh, Somalia and places like that, obviously, kidnap and ransom when it comes to the ships and all that sort of stuff as well. So it, it's a vast spectrum that goes all over the world, and there's so many different types of it, and it's, it's hard to say 
what is the most common due to the fact of how many <coughs> yeah of course um, people are abducted because yeah it's, it's um it's very interesting in the sense of so predominantly the children that you're rescuing um <coughs> are they were they in england originally were they taken from england or just from wherever wherever <coughs> so we work we work internationally um we've had clients from all over the world which has taken us all over the world to different areas um we have had some cases where we um, specifically um, work within england such as the county lines cases we work on online groomers that are convincing kids to run away to be with their groomers and that's for sexual graphic gratification and everything so we work those local cases without a doubt and it's easy to jump on those cases when we've got the money raised so because it's it doesn't cost too much to be able to jump on those um so i've got multiple operations that work and that are actually happening right now in england um but the majority of international cases is it's not just british it's it's nationalities from all over it is i've had french norwegian um, Spanish, there's, there's so many. Polish, yeah, there's a lot. It's crazy, isn't it? You just uh, there's just so many different scenarios, so many countries, so many cultures. Yeah, and it's how do you how do you even so look like you were saying the that when it's parental kind of removing, you've got to be careful that it, it's not uh, a manipulation where yeah. they're actually just trying to. It's nothing about the child. It's just getting back at the at the, the other parent. A so, lot of the times, yeah. So how how do you kind of police that to know? Because like you were saying, I'm imagining in terms of court documents, access to files and stuff like that, and local knowledge. That's easier in the UK. But if yeah. that's if that when that's abroad, how how do you do that? There's always court documents. There's always they, they will always come through the criminal records checks. We'll always be able to get hold of them. That's not a problem. But also we're able to analyse everything that we can find online and things like this. Um, outside of that, it's just psychological facts. Now sometimes it's easy because I've had parents call me. I've had one guy call me, for example, and tell me that I have to repent for my sins in Iraq and Afghanistan by rescuing his child who's been kidnapped by his. Uh, by oh his wife. And uh, on that first phone call, you're just sitting there going. Right, I can see what is wrong here straight away. Um, so sometimes it's quite easy, sometimes it's not. But when we go through the process of, of everything, how we work, because uh, there's always a lot of conversations. There's always uh, we'll always befriend our clients. We'll always get to know them. Um, and obviously, you go through the processes of asking certain questions, and we got a massive list of questions that we need answers to. And as you're going through the process of the case, more questions always arise that you need answers to. So going through that and then it's kind of like it's an interview process but technically it could be classed as a kind of interrogation process so the more that you speak to someone and it always happens you will always see psychologically that they're trying to hide something yeah. and it will always come out it will always come about and then there's always little pieces of the puzzle that don't connect where they're supposed to connect and there's always a reason why they're not connecting whether we can figure out why they're not connecting or not is a different story but if there's that massive gap there, then that raises a red flag straight away because you're there going, mm, why are you avoiding this part of this and why are you avoiding that part of that? And we'll just go over those questions continuously um, and even turn around straight off the bat and say, um, right, I believe that you're hiding something from me there. I need you to tell me what it is right now. Yeah. Uh, you either get it out of them or you don't get it out of them, but you've just got to figure it out. It's funny you say that. There's a thing in therapy um, that it's actually what you don't tell me. Is what I'm going to ask you about. Yeah, and it's exactly. it's it's hard to explain to people, 
but it's just if I'm having a conversation with you, there's something subconsciously, I think it's very deep in the subconscious, that you're expecting to hear. Yeah. And when I don't hear that, that's, the, that's what I want to know about. And I won't know what it is. I will, what I'll yeah. know is that you're not saying the right thing. Like, I don't know how to explain it other than that, but I get that with almost every client I do therapy with. It's just like, or that I coach and mentor, it's just like, no, you should have said something different, or you should have, or you're over-explaining something. So what have you covered? Yeah. You know. But it's like I said, I don't know how to explain. I couldn't teach somebody that. It's just like... You can't. You, it's just comes natural progression, I think. Yeah, I think if you've listened to enough people, listened to yeah. enough conversations... Um, and like, as in, like, listen, to, you're trying to hear what they're telling you. Um, you know, like, what's the motivation for why they're telling me this? What, what are they trying to explain to me? How are they potentially feeling? Um, what are they trying to make me aware of? When you kind of approach everything f from that point of view, um, you, you kind of get this weird... Yeah, you, there, there's pieces of a jigsaw that you don't hear, yeah. which is a, way, a strange way of analogy, using a picture as an analogy and then saying you can't hear it. But it's yeah. just like, no, there's something not being said. So what's that? You know, <clears throat> and that, yeah. yeah. So, so when you said that, it just reminded me of therapy. <laughs> it's, it's just key factors. It really is. And it always works every single time. And we always find out that what, what is missing. Like, it's just strange how it does work. Yeah, it does, isn't it? Because it's, it's never, like you say, there's not a, a plan. It's let's just have a conversation. And the more yeah. you get to talk to people, the, the, more you, the more conversation you have with them, eventually there's something that either hasn't been repeated that should have been repeated or there's something, well, there's not enough detail for that if that event happened or, you know, there, yeah. there's there's something, yeah, it's, it's just like there's a dead end when there should be another mile to the road, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100% it does, yeah, without a doubt. It's like anyone that we uh, we speak to during the case, we'll always do the same sort of things with them throughout the case. Who is this person? Tell me more about this person. What's going on with this person? You know, and you always you always figure it out. It's it's it's, it's just persistence, I suppose. Yeah. So mm. when when you eventually you, you find the child, um, there's no weapons, so you're obviously just somehow walking in. Yeah. I'm imagining you're not grabbing them on the street, chucking them into a van, and driving off. No, but there are companies out there that do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine there are. And I can probably... It's pretty terrible what they do. Well, just the psychological drama alone for the child, um, the attention that you must then draw to yourself, uh, the potential danger, and I don't know shit about any of this, and already I can pink out three things just off the top of my head of what's wrong with doing that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know. um, so when, when we go into a situation, it, it, it depends on what type of case it is. And like I say, we haven't hit the sex trafficking side of things. We haven't hit the big organisation side of things yet. Um, with the parents abduction side, with the county lines side, um, it's always a case of being able to figure it out. County lines, you can bring them out themselves because they're going to be you're going to talk to them and they're going to be coming out by themselves anyway. So that's not a problem. And the sex trafficking side is a different story because we end up in different in dangerous situations. But at the end of the day, just showing force gets the person away from that situation. When it comes to parental abductions, it's the parent that will always pick up the child. If we was to pick up a child, hmm. then that would mean that we're kidnapping that child. But whenever we take on a parental abduction, they've got all the court orders in place, they've got the Hague orders in place, they've got the execution in, issued within that country to be able to get pick up their child and return their child home. 
So it will always be the parent that picks it up. So when it gets to the situation of the parental abduction, we go in there and we provide the cultural protection force. We also obviously show our strength to the aspect of being able to get, if we need, authorities to be able to go in there. And it's all done as calm as possible. And then we'll extract with that parent and that person uh, and, and the child, get into the vehicle and then escort them back to safety in their own country. Um, so that's how it works with parental abductions. When it comes to any, any other type, uh, missing child, for example, very easy, because usually it's kids that um, think that they know what they're doing, don't realize the dangerous situations they're getting into. And then we go in and basically, once they're caught off guard, it's the case, it's time to come home. Um, I had a case in Switzerland and the child got caught off guard. We ended up um, getting him down to the police station. Once we got him at the police station, we had a vehicle pull up outside that blocked us in and like blocked my vehicles being able to come down in a single lane road in Monaco and two big Russians stormed towards that door coming up with bullshit excuses of why they're at that door and the cop is there trying to tell them, you've got to move your vehicle, I'm holding everyone back, my team's stuck by and everything like this. And it was just a strange situation. So obviously then we, it's a close protection movement, we have to get that client to that car, get that client back to the airport and get him out of there on a plane. Um, so there's so many different factors of how you do it. Now when it comes to the fact of going into those sex trafficking things and things like that, um, and going into organizations, because it's not a matter of if we go through a door um, but when we go for a door, there's going to come a time where we find kids that we're not looking for. And that's guaranteed because the more cases that we take <clears> up, <throat> the more chance of you're coming across the sex trafficking side of things, the more chance you're coming into bigger entities and things like this. Now, when that happens, um, obviously, to go for a door like that, then we will have the authorities on our side. We will be able to have all of the information there to the point where they're forced to do something about this with us, and then we'll assist them in anything that they need. And by the time that we get to that point, we'll be recognised anyway, so everyone will actually understand what we're doing, why we're doing it, and um, and ho hopefully we can get our own permissions to go through as well. <laughs> so, yeah, so so I take it then everywhere you go, do you have to let the the British consulate know what you're doing and where you are? No, we don't announce anything to anybody. The more things that are announced to different entities, the more chance that someone's going to be doing something to try to hinder you. Yeah. Um, we don't announce it to anybody. It's not It's not worth it. The only time that we'll announce it to anyone is if we need them um, or we believe that they can assist us in any way. And that's yeah. it. We're a completely separate entity to anybody. And I take it, how, how long have you been going now with this organisation? January next year is a decade. So the organization, the company itself, I, uh, I started a child recovery um, at the end of 2012. And um, when it comes to the company, uh, the concept of the company came about in 2015 after I watched and witnessed companies committing fraud to other companies. I took the company live as Pegasus Child Recovery in 2017 when one of said companies kidnapped a child from Cyprus. And then um, basically we redeveloped into private investigations because what I found was that when I was working in Afghanistan, I'd be away, I'd get a case come through, then they'd have to wait for me to get home to be able to work on that case. So it wasn't working uh, in, in the child's favor in any way whatsoever. So to come out of Afghanistan, I had to find a way to keep my own family and keep the roof of my own family. <coughs> so we went into private Pegasus private investigations. The unfortunate situation that I had there was that I trusted the wrong person to come in with me to help me um, and I nearly lost my company because of it and last year uh, July last year I quit Afghanistan completely and then um, came over to the UK and re-registered in the UK and then cleaned house got new management mm. and uh, and changed the way that the game is played 
Okay, so, and I'm guessing after 10 years, you probably, you, you probably have some enviable, envy, enviable contacts with the underworld that most authorities would love to have. I would probably say so. Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, that might be allegedly, a case. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a case. Because <clears throat> has that ever happened where you've, you've used the same people again? Who've, who've like... Yeah, um, I've got some very good relationships with a lot of different networks all around the world. Yeah. Very good relationships. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm going to save that for another podcast. Um, yeah, I think you should. <laughs> yeah, if that's okay. And could you just, like I said, I will put all the links in the description, but could you just, uh, again, explain to people about how they can help you with funding, where to yeah. donate money? Yeah. So um, we've got a Just Given page that's out there, um, and obviously for that, our prime goal is to get as many people as possible to donate as little as possible, because it's based on the concept of if you were to buy a cup of coffee for £4.50, we're on asking for £2. So it's half a cup of coffee a month. If we can get 60,000 people to donate £2 a month, we've got four cases every single month that we can work on actively, and that's four kids that we can get back every single month. Currently, I've got 14 cases sitting on my desk we can't act on because we don't have money, and that's one of the biggest problems. Outside of that, for donations, we've got merchandise for sale on the website. We've also got the book for sale um, through Steel City Press and Amazon.co.uk. And we've also got Patreon. Um, Patreon is one of our biggest focuses at the moment. Start pushing it out there because it's a monthly subscription service and you get exclusive access to my mind, exclusive access to stories from my past, exclusive access to my thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings whilst on a case. Um, and we're building that up to the point where we can put videos on there and do live question and answers. Um, and you'll be able to see footage from cases on there as well, eventually. But that's, that's, that, they're the prime ways of donating at the moment. Okay, and social media is the best place, TikTok? Yeah, best place is TikTok because you're going to get a lot more information from the videos that I put up on TikTok. Um, outside of that, we do have, obviously, Facebook and Instagram. Okay, right. Well, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. So that's Darren from Pegasus Ops. What an amazing guy. One of the most extraordinary people I've had the pleasure of speaking to on this podcast. Please do check out his Patreon, his website. The links will be in the description. And find, just find out more about him. You know, there's many organisations out there that are deserving of support. And for me, this is definitely one of them. And as always, thank you very, very much for listening. And please do like, subscribe and share.